Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus. Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Folk magic is the mother of temple magic and formalized religion. Welcome to American Folk Magic, the 180th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of author and root worker Orion Foxwood. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. Merry meet. My name is Gwyn. I'm Ode's mother. Unfortunately, Carr could not join us tonight. No, he, he had to go back to work. Yes. And even if he hadn't, he also has a migraine. So. Yes. Yes. So uh, he's... Double whammy of Carr not double, being here tonight. Double whammy. But you get us. Yes. And so we are going to have a delightful evening. A good discussion. A good discussion talking about magic. Mm-hmm. But first we're going to do housekeeping. Gwen is starting a new job. Yes, I am. In a couple of weeks. Not exactly sure what the start date is. Mm-hmm. So our I don't think our scheduled recording time is going to change. But I can't guarantee that until mm-hmm. she starts working and we see what her schedule is going to be. Mm-hmm. So we will let you know when we know if right. our recording time is going to change. Everyone is giving you congratulations. Thank you. Selling more nuts. No, I'm going back into early learning childcare. Mm-hmm. I'll be working with preschoolers. Which is a, a job Gwen had years and years ago. Mm-hmm. That, well, my last job in childcare mm-hmm. was uh, in 2015. Mm-hmm. I worked with fours yep. and fives, which is the age that I work with the most. That's, that's her preferred that's, age. Yep. I love that age. And so... Uh, and there's so, yeah. been a, a, a need for more yeah. early childcare workers right. uh, recently. So so I'm going back to being an early learning professional. Mm-hmm. Ivy Rose says, God bless you, that's high energy. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's very energizing and fun to work with kids and and especially the older ones. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to be the curriculum coordinator for the center. So that will be fun, too. Yep see any other housekeeping we need to do oh uh next week's episode is going to be an interview with jason Mankey. Mm-hmm. finally got that set up yeah um, looking forward to that so looking forward to that so in that case we are house kept and house swept this week we're going to be talking about american folk magic the traditions and practices of quote low magic yeah i hate uh, that that are I hate that whole bullshit uh-huh. high magic low magic thing it's so hoity-toity uh, hoity-toity <laughs> elitist elite thank you it's so <laughs> elitist it's like fuck you and your high magic and the big horse you rode in on mm-hmm. elsa's classist <laughs> yes it's also classist. very classist and in, in many ways also racist. So we're going to be talking about the, the folk practices that are endemic to North America, specifically mm-hmm. to the United States mm-hmm. um, and bits of Canada. We're going to be talking about a few specific traditions, but I think the, the biggest thing that I took away from doing research on this topic mm-hmm. was that like there's no one thing folk magic tradition no no there like it's all it's always very localized it's what your specific teacher taught you it's very there's a lot there's of, no orthodoxy there's a lot of bleed over from between different between practices different practices in different regions mm-hmm. 
they may have similarities, but they have their own twist. Yeah. Folk magic is, is inherently fluid. Mm-hmm. It's not structured in the same way that, as Orion Foxwood calls mm-hmm. out here, that temple magic or formalized religion are. It'll have magic elements. It'll have religious elements. Mm-hmm. But even when there are books written about it, those books aren't like the defining right. text of... Exactly. In fact, and the commonalities that I saw when I was doing research, because you've got, you know, we were talking about it. There's Southern tradition. There's Ozark tradition. Mm-hmm. There's Hoodoo. Appalachian tradition. There's Appalach- Appalachian. Gotta mm-hmm. say it right. Appalachian. Appalachian tradition. There's Hoodoo. New Orleans Hoodoo. Detroit mm-hmm. Hoodoo and, and Conjurer. I mean, you know, there's all these different regions. They all have their different flavors. Mm-hmm. And, but the one thing that I did notice, at least between like the, um, like the Pennsylvania Dutch and the Appalachian and uh, Southern Mm -hmm. stuff is that there's Virginia Virginia and Mountain. There's usually a combination of Christianity, Mm -hmm. European, Native American, and African brought over from slaves. They kind of wrap it all together. Sort of. Sort of. Depends on where. That's true. And that's what I'm saying. This kind of, you you see those commonalities. That's kind of some of the commonalities that you'll see. I don't want to be too frivolous, I guess, Mm -hmm. in saying that like, that it's not just that like these peoples were seamlessly incorporating their traditions together. There was a lot of theft involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some awkward conversations to be had about Mm -hmm. appropriations. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a, folk traditions are messy. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to describe it. A lot of them come down as traditions mm-hmm. uh, over the generations. And I think the other thing we were talking about this before we started is that American folk magic, whatever region you find mm-hmm. it in, it's not ever been something that has died out and is being or, reconstructed. Or ever been like fully suppressed. Or so, Exactly. It, it's always been here for as long as... Americans have been here really because right. we brought Co- it with us. Colonizers brought their magic yep. from their native lands mm-hmm. to America mm-hmm. and mixed and matched and incorporated and it's just been going on since then. Exactly. The other thing besides that is that the actual native traditions of this land, mm-hmm. the traditions of indigenous peoples are have also not died out. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that is very true. We're not going to really be covering that in this episode, or at least Mm -hmm. I didn't plan to, because indigenous traditions are mostly closed. Mm -hmm. They're not for people outside of indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to try to discuss or explain indigenous traditions, except to point out that the First Nations people are still here. Mm -hmm. Their traditions are still ongoing, still alive, still being taught Mm -hmm. in their communities. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they choose to teach other people outside their communities, right, that's, you know, that's, that's their, their business. business. That's how closed religions work. But I do want to just point out that like, it's not like colonizers came in and supplanted indigenous traditions. Mm-mm. Indigenous traditions are still practiced here in their mm-hmm. native territory. Yeah, Colonizers just came and did what colonizers do, which exactly. is take over and bring their own stuff. That's right. So the, the thing I would suggest, though, before we even get started is... It's a fascinating subject. It is. It yes. is a fascinating and subject. And there are so many directions you can go in. Oh my God. <laughs> so many. And, but the but yet it is also hard to find uh, a lot of sources outside of published books. Uh-huh. I found there's not like a lot of websites or things like that. Or when they or where there are, they're very limited. 
And I think that's because these are traditions that are handed down. They're oral traditions. Yes, they're oral traditions. You've got, again, we were talking about the Appalachian Mm -hmm. uh, traditions. We got Ozark traditions. We've got the New Orleans traditions. They're generational traditions. Exactly. They're generational. They're they're taught and they're caught. It's hard to 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 find find. reputable information, I think. Exactly. And and the best sources are going to be the people who actually practice it or come from that region. Yeah. This is the... Folk magic is a, is mouth to ear tradition. Uh, something I I sort of came to a, an understanding of while I was doing this research is I can't do this kind of folk magic mm-hmm. because I don't have a folk teacher like my, like a granny uh-huh. from my family who's teaching me this stuff. Right. Like I couldn't do Appalachian folk magic. Right. You wouldn't feel like you're going to practice that magic because you don't have a granny teaching you these Right. These like practices. even even when I read, like Orion Foxwood ha- has a book that I own mm-hmm. about his kind of folk magic mm-hmm. that he's learned and his kind of root work that he's learned. Right. Which is Southern. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't like, the, although it's very interesting to me to read those practices mm-hmm. And although there are certainly like pieces that I can see parallels to in my work and that I can maybe incorporate into my work to to deepen my work or to mm-hmm. make my work more effective, I don't feel like I could say, oh, well, I can learn to do root work from this mm-hmm. because it does feel very much like a, a mouth to ear. You need a teacher. Mm-hmm. You need someone to, sh- to directly show you. Well, like, for instance, the the oh, this was the other thing I was going to say earlier before I get into this. Mm-hmm. Many, or if not most of the people who practice these various forms of magic, mm-hmm. they don't consider themselves witches. No. And they, would, fact, be, a strong, they would be deeply offended if you called them that. And there's a strong Christian uh, emphasis in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them consider themselves to be Christian. It's just these are traditions. Mm-hmm. It, that's I've spoken about my grandfather before. Mm-hmm. That was a water witching. water witching. That is not he did. He just considered that. A tradition. He didn't consider that a magical practice. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these people are, are the same way. They don't consider it witchcraft. Yeah. So I thought that was important to bring up. Ivy Rose says, do you count ancestor granny vibes leading you as teaching? Yeah, I think you can be mm-hmm. spirit taught. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just don't can, have, I just don't have any spirits teaching me. <laughs> and they might be able to teach you to the, and you know, lead you to a, a, uh, a flesh a and blood teacher. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But what I was going to say is H. Byron Ballard has um, a couple of wonderful books mm-hmm. about Appalachian folkways and granny witchcraft tradition. She is actually the village witch of Asheville, North Carolina. Her book, her most recent book is Roots, Branches, and Spirits. It's a beautiful book. It's it's all about uh, Appalachian folkways. Mm-hmm. And her bring, she was brought up in that area. And, um, and in that tradition by her mother and her grandmothers and mm-hmm. aunts and stuff. But even in this book, as she's describing all the different ways that the they practice, place. the folk ways and the practice of their magic that they have, she doesn't specifically, I, I didn't feel like she specifically went in and said, and if you want to do it, this is what you can mm-hmm. do too. She was just describing the flavor and the yeah. feel and like, the texture. Oh, and the texture of the magic they practice in that area of Appalachia. And there were some things you could pick up, you know, right. some some basic ideas thrown in there, like, hey, if you want to, but it it wasn't like an instruct an instruction manual. You right. wouldn't be able to read her book and start practicing Appalachian folkways. And I feel like even when spells or tricks or hexes or whatever are included in those kind of books, in those mm-hmm. kind of texts, 
I feel like even if I did them, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have the same effect. effect. You don't have the history behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's I don't have that. I don't have that magic in me. Mm-hmm. I actually met H. Byron Ballard at a, yes. an event once. She's a very, very fascinating person she to be was, around. She's got we, a lot of energy. She was at Michigan Pagan Fest the first yeah. year we went, and yeah. we, we, she's a wonderful teacher. So was Orion Foxwood. Uh, yes. Yeah, if you go back and listen to our first episode after we came back from Michigan Pagan Fest, mm-hmm. uh, I think the running joke there was Orion says. Orion because said. Because I, I could not yep. stop talking about He was great. <laughs> but yes, um, so I highly recommend H. Byron Ballard. If you want to kind of get a sense mm-hmm. of what Appalachian folk magic is like, again, it's not a, a 101 book, mm-hmm. but you may pick up some ideas. Yeah. But she's really just sharing an appreciation for the history, the folklore, and their way of life, because for for Appalachian people, it in the hill right. people in that area, that's how they live. That's their mm-hmm. those are their traditions. Yep, and it's not thought of as practice mm-hmm. necessarily or a, a religious no it's just framework. A, mm-hmm. It's just how you do. It's how you do exactly. Gwen and I, I think, each looked in slightly different directions mm-hmm. for uh, the folk magic traditions we sort of focused on. Right, because I'm more familiar with the Appalachian mm-hmm. and with some of the conjure stuff. Yeah, uh, and I sort of narrowed in on Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. Which is, again, fascinating. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, learned a lot of interesting things. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Pennsylvania Dutch. So, first of all, they're not Dutch. No, no. <laughs> the, the Pennsylvania Dutch are the descendants of one of the first waves of German immigrants coming to America. They settled in not just Pennsylvania, but um, largely in Pennsylvania uh, in that initial arrival. They consisted mostly of Protestants, Mennonites, the Amish, the Moravian Church, I think, was brought mm-hmm. over by the Pennsylvania Dutch. The theory is that the Dutch part was actually a mishearing of Deutsch. Yeah. Um, meaning German. Or uh, Deutsch. Deutsch, yeah, meaning German. And actually the Pennsylvania Dutch, that first wave and their descendants, took being the Pennsylvania Dutch very seriously, mm-hmm. incorporated into their identity, and they called later waves of German immigrants Germaniers. <laughs> <laughs> to distinguish them from their own That's really original funny. wave of German immigrants. But so the the Pennsylvania Dutch had practices, folk traditions, that should be called, and we'll get into why, should be called braucherei mm-hmm. um, or brauch. Someone who performed braucherei was a braucher. It's a, it's a fascinating combination of folk medicine and magic and religious traditions. Mm-hmm. So even though most Pennsylvania Dutch came from Protestant traditions, and considered themselves like good Mennonites or right. good, good Amish Some or good, good Lutherans. Some Christian. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of Lutherans as yeah, well yeah. Uh, among the, the Pennsylvania Dutch. They also brought with them the remnants of a lot of medieval Catholic superstitions. Mm-hmm. Pocket Witch says, I'm from a Pennsylvania Dutch family. My great-grandparents had very distinctive Pennsylvania Dutch accents. My mom once told me that my great-great-grandmother was a white witch in the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition, but no one would ever talk about it. I always regret that I was never able to learn more about that. It is actually, it's hard to find Mm -hmm. um, a lot of clear information, but there is some information out there about Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. So they brought a lot of medieval German Catholic superstitions with them. Mm -hmm. And those got 
sort of incorporated. Yeah, incorporated, melting potted into the traditions of the Scot that the Scots and the Irish brought yeah, over. Yeah, the cunning folk tradition. The cunning folk traditions. Um, the which cunning folk were specifically an English folk tradition. Mm-hmm. Native American. Little bit. Little, little bit. bit. We'll get into that. Okay. But the the biggest thing with Brauchrei was it was it was not considered witchcraft. No. At no, all. Absolutely. So not. there was Brauchrei which was healing and protection and occasionally sort of a revenge or justice thing against mm-hmm. a bad witch. All that power derived from working with God. Mm-hmm. The energy of Brauchari was that you made a prayer to God or you called on God's name or you called on Jesus' name mm-hmm. and you were empowered through that as a Braucher to perform healings most mm-hmm. especially. And those beautiful hex signs that were on barns were against the bad ones. Maybe those are a late edition. Okay. But there was also the the Pennsylvania Dutch did believe in something called hexerai uh-huh. uh, and hexes, which hexen, hexen uh, yes, which were the bad witches. And the only witches performed hexerai. Mm-hmm. If you performed hexerai, you were a witch and that made you bad. Bad, automatically. Um, if you performed Braucherai, you were not a witch. Mm-hmm. You were a Christian, a, a good Christian who had a special power given to you by God yep. to perform healings and, and do miracles. It feels like a contradiction to mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. in a pagan community, but it did not feel like a contradiction to them. No, it's probably no different, honestly, than even today in the charismatic churches where mm-hmm. they have their gifts of the spirit, exactly. quote unquote, which include, you know, prophecy mm-hmm. and divinate speaking well, in tongues, I say divination. Yeah. Those kinds of things. But if it's done by and a, faith healing and faith healing, but if it's done by a psychic or a medium or uh, some kind of healing practice outside of their belief system, then it's witchcraft. Ultimately, I think it comes down to a perception of where the power comes from. Yes, it is. Ultimately. So a Braucher gets his power from God. Uh, Hex gets her power from the devil. The devil. So they brought that particular kind of faith healing Mm -hmm. and those superstitions. And in these very insular localized communities, Mm -hmm. they sort of evolved and became more localized over time. Mm -hmm. Where the indigenous practices get mixed up in this. Brauchrei doesn't actually have a lot of genuine native traditions involved in it. It Mm -hmm. does have some herbal lore that mm-hmm. was learned or stolen from First Nations peoples that was incorporated into Brauharai because Brauhers were healers. Mm-hmm. And so they would oftentimes use genuine healing medical practices right, herbs, uh, as part of their, their traditions. But something that's interesting about Brauharai and about folk magic and medicine in general mm-hmm. is that there's often no distinction between the medical and the magical mm-hmm. in how you might be treated by a folk magician. For instance, in um, in the practices of, let, let's say, the, you know, again, the Appalachian mm-hmm. granny witchcraft, you could have, uh, you would go to a, a granny witch mm-hmm. or your, whoever the person is who was the, uh, you know, practicing whatever their craft is, their mm-hmm. folk ways. Catnip tea would be for colic. But you also might uh, put sulfur in your shoes to mm-hmm. handle flu symptoms. A, a lot of the the work I was reading was saying like the folk magician would mm-hmm. know that like this herb has this effect. Right. But whether they told you to take it internally or to put it in a sachet and keep it in your pocket, 
it was considered to have the same effect. Exactly. That's what, it, that's kind Whether of Whether it was same, being used in a medical way or a magical way. That's essentially what I'm saying is similar in yeah. like Appalachian folk ways. Mm-hmm. It's a very same thing. It, you might be using it traditional medicinally, right. or you might be using it in a folk way, mm-hmm. but it's still healing you. Right. It, it serves the same function in, in accordance with the, the folk tradition. It serves the fam- same function no matter how you interact. With. The fact like, that you're having an interaction with the herb of any kind yeah. is where the healing comes from. And I think that's where one of these commonalities mm-hmm. comes in between these various regions and various uh, folk ways and, me- and magical practices mm-hmm is that they did interweave there was a lot of healing involved a lot of these a lot of these practitioners were uh midwives and and people who were they were in areas where there wasn't a lot of medical yep very uh, very little medical uh availability yeah so they would go to these and sometimes they were in very remote Mm -hmm. areas exactly so they would go to these practitioners who had this gift Mm -hmm. and get their medicines or their treatments or their charms or whatever to deal with the situation they had, whether it was physical or whatever. Yeah. It might be that they rubbed an ointment on you, or it might just be that they passed their hand over it and said Mm -hmm. a chant. Either way, it was, it was Brauher. Yeah, exactly. Um, It was... Or whatever, or whatever it was your folk way is, or yeah. whatever your folk way in your region is. Very, there was no, there was no distinction between these styles of treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting back into the the indigenous the, yeah. thing. So the Pennsylvania Dutch tradition that I am calling Brauher and that I'm mm-hmm. going to continue to call Brauherai. A book came out, <laughs> of course, by a man called John G. Homan, mm-hmm. who was a Brauher, and in German it was called. The Long Hidden Friends. Mm. It was originally published in German because they still spoke German. Right. Um, at that time, most Pennsylvania Dutch community. still spoke German. So it was originally published in German in a, in a small area for the Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm-hmm. But it eventually received a wider release in English. And there, the title was changed from The Long Hidden Friend to The Long Lost Friend or Pow Wow. Okay, that's where Pow Wow came in. Yeah. So sometimes... Brauherei ended up being called powwow or powwowing. Powwow being used as a verb here, effectively. Mm -hmm. So to say someone did powwow on you was to say they did this kind of folk medicine magic on you. Right, right. Yeah, that's something that's strictly Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah, that's powwow as a practice. Mm -hmm. Brauherei is a Pennsylvania Dutch thing. And there's some dispute about why powwow was ever attached to this practice, because like I said... It has no relationship to actual indigenous folk practices or religions. Mm-mm. So John G. Homan claims that the Algonquin people in the area would come to him for magic and they called him the great powwow, which is nonsense <laughs> because that's not what powwow means. Powwow means a gathering of peoples. Mm-hmm. That's why... You can go to native-held powwows mm-hmm. to this day, <laughs> all over. But it makes me wonder if the Algon- the Algonquin people were, you know, who he did interact. He with, probably didn't have some word. He probably did have some interactions with them. He undoubtedly heard the word powwow yeah. from them, and, and maybe just, didn't understand it. That's what I think. Or they may have 
said something to him that sounded similar. Maybe. And he extrapolated from there. Maybe. But he claimed that the Algonquin people called him the Great Pow Wow. Yeah, yeah. Which I highly doubt. <laughs> um, and so the practice of Brauharai, which was what it had been called in German before, ended up being called Pow Wow in the larger English-speaking community. This is an appropriation of an Algonquin word mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anything close to this. And so my opinion is that we should stop calling it powwow uh-huh. and we should call it brahrai, which is what it which is, which is what it was called in German before by these German speaking immigrants. <laughs> so it makes sense to call it, makes, it something German. It does make more sense to call it something German or, or even transliterate, uh-huh. you know, a, into an English word that yeah. means what it means. I believe this is another one of the long string of appropriations of native terms, mm-hmm. and we should not be calling Brauerei or any Pennsylvania Dutch traditions powwow. But if you go looking for it, you're going to find the word powwow be, everywhere. Yeah. And especially in the older texts, you'll find people being described as powwowers or doing powwow mm-hmm. on people. I think um, some were even called powwow doctors. Powwow doctors, yeah. Whole mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you go looking for it, that's, you're going to find that everywhere. But please follow modern trends mm-hmm. and do not refer to this folkway as powwow. Let's give it the origin that, honestly, that it deserves. That it deserves, because it, it was... It deserves the, its origin. Brauerei makes sense. Yep. It's a German word from German-speaking immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> that he undoubtedly did have some kind of relationship with the the the, the, natives the, native, the, the first area. nations mm-hmm. uh tribes in his area he undoubtedly did there probably was some melting pot collaboration mm-hmm. of like he learned what the local herbs were from them mm-hmm. and how to use them and incorporated them into his traditional folkways mm-hmm. that undoubtedly did happen mm-hmm. but don't just put slap a random native word on there and yeah. pretend and pretend it's the right one. Uh-huh. They're asking if you could, could spell the correct term. Yes, it is B-R-A-U-C-H-E-R-E-I. Brauherei. And it's sometimes just called Brauch, which is B-R-A-U-C-H-E. That's yeah. what I think we should call the, the Pennsylvania Dutch folkways. Mm-hmm. We get our word hex mm-hmm. from hexen. Mm-hmm. Which also is from German. Also from Germany. <laughs> which, again, hex... Uh, and, and, and hexerai were, were the witchcraft. Yeah, it just means witchcraft. Uh-huh. The reason hex in modern witchcraft mm-hmm. essentially has a, a negative connotation it's, is because of the brauherai versus hexerai dichotomy. Yeah. And the hexerai were witches. Were witches who were bad. Quote unquote And so bad. any hex magic was inherently bad magic. Yeah. So Gwyn mentioned the hex stars earlier. Yeah, yeah those hex symbols on the barns and things. Yeah. Which are now really nothing more... Honestly, they're very touristy. Art, they're now, very yeah. touristy art. Form. Um, and they're beautiful. So those didn't really start being regularly painted on the Pennsylvania Dutch barns until after the 1940s. Mm-hmm. So they're a relatively recent development, mm-hmm. um, mostly just because paint was so expensive. Mm-hmm. But the form of a hex star um, is thought to be older and is thought to have a tradition, a, uh, a traditional quality. Um, associated with Brauerei, and it was to protect from Hexen. Hexen. To to protect you from Hexerei. Yeah, because traditionally in Europe, and uh and they brought it over to America, was witches would cause uh you know illness in your on your farm they it, you'd kill your livestock mm-hmm. and poison your water and blight your corn mm-hmm. or, or whatever it's so 
it would make sense that there would be a symbol to put on your barn or on your farm somewhere to protect you from Hexen. Yes. And from Hexenai. Uh Swan says, you mean the quilt looking paintings on the yes. barn front? Yes. Those were hex symbols. Hex, hex signs. Yeah. Hex signs. Is, is what they, they ended up being called. And designed to protect you from wicked witches. Whether the ones actually painted on the barn were intended for that is disputed. Right. It's probably more art. Uh, yeah. It's it's an artistic tradition. If you remember our symbols episode where we talked about stars inside mm-hmm. circles as a very ancient symbol, this is like that. Um, yeah. It's just not traditionally a five pointed star right. in a hex sign. It's usually six or more. And Swan, yes, we do have them all over the Michigan backcountry because mm-hmm. we actually have a lot of Pennsylvania a lot. Dutch. We have a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch. We have some Amish communities mm-hmm. in Michigan. and Yeah, and, uh, so, uh, so although yeah. The, although the Pennsylvania Dutch did originally settle mostly in Pennsylvania, they spread out extensively. So you can find the descendants of the Pennsylvania Dutch. Everywhere. Like, so, sort of from the Northeast to the Midwest. Yeah, they, they might have started out in Pennsylvania, but they didn't <laughs> stay there. No. Thanks to our Tiger Solanox for introducing us to Weavers of the Web, an interfaith pagan ATC, that's Aquarian Tabernacle Church organization, based in Lansing, Michigan. Weavers of the Web is a public Wiccan church that aims to be family-friendly, supportive, and informative, with the goal of ensuring that no one ever need be alone in their spiritual needs. Weavers is currently raising funds for the down payment on a property which would allow them to expand their current network of resources, including dedicated community space, a permanent home for a pagans in need pantry, and a lending library. Join them online or in person at weaversoftheweb.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash weaversatc. Hail Dictinus. Yes. Get my little incense Hail Dictinus indeed. Now, I do think it's interesting that, again, as we said, throughout all of these traditions, whatever region you happen to be in, there are commonalities. Mm-hmm. Like there is the commonality of healing. Right. You know, there is the commonality that they probably do not call themselves witches. No, and would not consider it witchcraft, might not even consider it magic. Nope. It was probably a just a tradition that's been mm-hmm. passed down to them that works. They would just call it healing. It's just <laughs> healing. Um, there are forms of divination, tassiomancy, tea leaf mm-hmm. reading is a big one, especially in the Appalachian. Dowsing. Dowsing with the, mm-hmm. you know, with the stick to look for water. Water witching. I heard mm-hmm. a new term. I did not know. It's also called water wiggling. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I've only ever heard. Wiggle. Yeah, I got I've it. I've only ever heard water witching, but water wiggling <laughs> is another one. Um, so, but yeah, you do find a lot of them uh, use herbal remedies. A mm-hmm. lot of them are herbalists mm-hmm. because, again, they're in areas that may not have access or at some point yeah. did not have access, easy access to doctors or, or medicines. And so they had to create their own through herbal. Right. Whatever they, had, whatever they had around. And as you as you all know, herbalism has been around for thousands of years. So, <laughs> um, And you actually hear sort of a fascinating range of stories like so i like i was reading about the pennsylvania dutch and so mm-hmm. i heard a lot, i found ran across a lot of s- stories that had been either recorded in oral histories or occasionally written about in newspapers mm-hmm. about um yeah things a that, lot of its oral history that uh the brauher had accomplished and so like there was one particularly famous brauher mm-hmm. uh john g but a different a different john g mm-hmm. uh, than the one who wrote the book at one point somebody they were out logging mm-hmm. and a guy accidentally smacked himself in the leg with his axe and they couldn't oh, stop God. the bleeding. Yeah. And it was out in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so finally someone said, okay, well, someone go fetch John G. Mm-hmm. He'll be able to stop this bleeding before this man dies. Mm-hmm. And so they sent the fastest kid there to run back and find John G. And John G. heard the story and he said, all right, I can stop the bleeding from here. 
-hmm. And he just made a prayer and sent the boy back. And by the time he got back, the bleeding had stopped. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For instance, water witching, you know, I like, I've, told the story a million times about my grandfather. I've never seriously tried to look for water. It was just something he taught me when I was 11 that mm-hmm. he thought I would enjoy learning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably to get me out of his hair because he was probably <laughs> working in his garden. Uh, <laughs> there are practitioners mm-hmm. of dowsing who do use sticks, uh-huh. you know, and they they use these forked sticks and they do find water. They're uncanny That's, good at it. It's uh, they're uncanny good at it. You actually do you can feel the the vibration mm-hmm. of the of the stick and it's been documented in newspaper articles and mm-hmm. books, you know, and it's That's not, how you find wells. It's not scientific, mm-hmm. you know, but I do remember reading one time a story about um or it's possible I heard it on a podcast, but a story of, of a you know, some farmers who were trying to find water, you mm-hmm. know, to, to dig a well, had a, a legit person from, you know, a, you know, one of the companies coming out to, to try to use their, their equipment uh-huh. to find water. And he could not find it for shit. Mm-hmm. He was using his, his, uh, whatever, you know, his electronic devices yeah, to try to find water and he could not find moisture it. moisture or whatever. And so someone said, go get so-and-so he'll find it. <laughs> and so they went and they got the local water witch uh-huh. and he came out and sure enough, Less than half an hour later, he had found the spot mm-hmm. and um, they they dug. And yes, that's where the well was. And the guy was like, just don't tell my company that we that we <laughs> that we uh, used this, that we used a water this witch. method. Please don't tell my company. But it's a legitimate phenomenon. These mm-hmm. people who can douse for water. Yeah. Sometimes the the stories you'll hear about folk medicine and folk magic are really like small, mm-hmm. like passing pennies over a wart mm-hmm. and the penny soaks up the wart and so you have to throw the penny away to get rid of the wart. But sometimes they're really big. Mm-hmm. Like man chopped his foot in half, granny prayed over it, foot went back together. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's all, a lot of it's anecdotal, mm-hmm. you know, but um, there's a, I think there's enough anecdotal stories out there that, that these, you know, the people who practice these traditions, mm-hmm. who live this, uh, these traditions, you know, it, it's part of their history. It's part of their magic and it's part of their family, mm-hmm. you know, their, their legacy. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's amazing. Honestly, it's fascinating to listen to uh, these stories mm-hmm. and, you know, you just hope that some of these things are being written down, right. That they're being recorded in that they're some being way. Recorded. And the, that's why I appreciate books like Byron's. Mm-hmm. And then there's another person named Sarah Amos uh, who has also written about her uh, Appalachian ancestry mm-hmm. and and about Appalachian folkways and magic. Um, um, and a lot of, actually, a lot of um, where you'll be able to find this information won't be in, like, the pagan book no. community. It's no. going to be in anthropological research. Mm-hmm. Because in re- relatively recent years, anthropologists have taken a keen interest in these kind of folk ways mm-hmm. because it, it is a part of someone's uh, tradition. It's mm-hmm. part of their culture. It's a part of you know, how they live, you mm-hmm. know, and they, it, it, and it's worked for them for hundreds of years, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, I, I think that's very cool. And again, there's different kinds. We've got your, you've got folk magic in the Ozark mountains mm-hmm. and hill countries, which is in Missouri for those who are not yeah. sure where the Ozark mountains are. Um, you've got low country, which is, probably Louisiana mm-hmm. and uh, some of those areas. So you got conjure and root work yep. and things of that nature. It, it's spread out all over in various and it's, areas. And it's different in each place. Uh-huh. It has a different flavor. Yeah, even a different texture, uh-huh. uh, even though it has the same similarities. Um, 
a lot of the same basic ingredients. Mm-hmm. Another really Sometimes good... literally the same ingredients. Yeah, exactly. Another good book that I have is written by Chaz Bogan. It's called The Secret Keys of Conjure, Unlocking the Mysteries of American Folk Magic. He is someone who is trained by with in a different areas of folk magic by folk magic practitioners. Mm-hmm. And he has written about these things. He gives you ideas of how to approach something. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would necessarily call it, it wouldn't be a one-on-one, but it gives right. you an idea of if you wanted to incorporate a few of these, these uh, elements elements into your practice. Or these qualities. Yeah, these qualities into your practice. If you wanted a different, various kinds of glamour mm-hmm. or different ways to do tassiomancy or, or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, the different things he covers in this book, how you protect yourself from spiritual attack. Something I will say about these kind of folk magic traditions is that if you have a lot of trauma around Mm -hmm. Christianity, Christianity, Mm -hmm. you're going to be very uncomfortable in these spaces because they don't function without Christianity. Exactly. They're very deeply entwined with Mm -hmm. Christianity and Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in a syncretic way, Mm -hmm. um, like hoodoo in particular uh, is very syncretic. It it has Christian qualities. Mm -hmm. It has, well, hoodoo was developed by um, enslaved people. Right. So it has qualities from all over. It's mm-hmm. got Christian influences, Islamic influences, Aruban influences, a lot of cosmology from the, the Banto Congo region, mm-hmm. region. It's got Haitian influences. Mm-hmm. So hoodoo is a big, real serious melting pot. But it, even though it's really heavily syncretized, it mm-hmm. still does have a lot of those Christian qualities. When we went to that hoodoo festival, mm-hmm. the conjure festival. Yeah. And um, that was one thing that I did notice. Yes, there, a lot of these classes were talking about using psalms mm-hmm. and, and using scripture and uh, in your in your practice. Mm-hmm. And there was, I picked up, I at one point I picked up a Southern Conjure book. It wasn't Orion's, right. but it was a Southern Conjure. If you, do you want to practice Southern Conjure mm-hmm. from a woman who grew up with a granny, you know, yep. and teaching her the, the, the Conjure ways filled with prayers mm-hmm. and scriptures because that's a very big part of it. It's always going to be. It's always going to be. It's it's inextricable from the practice. Yeah. So if you are wanting to perform these kind of folk magics mm-hmm. as they are as they are prescribed as they exist in mm-hmm. their natural habitat, you're going to have to get comfortable with saying prayers and saying psalms and mm-hmm. you can do it, like I said, you can do it in a syncretic way. A lot of them do it in a syncretic mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But just Christianity realize is, is, is a heavily intertwined element Absolutely. Of, of these kind of folk ways. Absolutely. Especially, um, because these people, they mostly consider mm-hmm. themselves good Christians. Yeah, they don't consider themselves witches. We we keep harping on that point, but it's mm-hmm. very it's a very important point. Mm-hmm. They don't they con- are not pagans. They're not pagans. They don't consider themselves witches. In fact, they'd be shocked mm-hmm. uh if anybody considered what they do mm-hmm. to be witchcraft. Yep. So that I think is very important to remember, especially if you approach someone who you know is a practitioner mm-hmm. of any kind of these magical practices mm-hmm. and approach them in a way that that would make them uncomfortable. Exactly. For for you to call them a witch. Yep. <laughs> you know, so that's something if you want to learn these ways and you have to find a teacher to, you know, to really get get it if it's a to vibe with it. It's a if it's a specific kind. What I would say is that like it's it's not like all folk magic in America is tied to Christianity. No. no. There are other branches. So mm-hmm. like even the Pennsylvania Dutch, because they 
were German immigrants and they were bringing a lot of German traditions with them. Mm -hmm. There's a modern branch of heathenry mm -hmm. called Erglau that draws on Pennsylvania Dutch traditions, but does it in a Germanic heathen context, mm -hmm. right? So they worship German gods, the heathen gods, mm -hmm. Thor and Odin and Freya under different names, under mm -hmm. Pennsylvania Dutch inspired names. And, and they perform a lot of the mm -hmm. same folk magic traditions that the yeah. Pennsylvania Dutch did, that the, the, the Brachrei did under Erglau, just in a different context, because there's an easy connection there between the German immigrants and the, the ancient German religious traditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not Brauchrei. Right. Right. It's not the authentic folk traditions of the Pennsylvania Dutch as mm -hmm. they brought them with them as Protestants. Right. It's an evolution of that. I think it's the same thing with if you practice, uh, if you if you pick up things or, or you practice some form of, you know, like Southern conjure mm -hmm. or Appalachian folk ways or Ozark folk ways or whatever. If you pick up things from these or you start focusing more mm -hmm. on incorporating that into your practice, the, I wouldn't say that these are closed because, you know, but, but I would say but they're regional, they're regional and you may not have a full understanding of yeah. why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. If you're not from that region, sure. You can, you can pick up some of the things in, in Byron Ballard's book mm -hmm. and, you know, cause she talks about how her granny would handle a thing of, mm -hmm. you know, and you could do that. You can syncretize that you into your practice. You can syncretize it into your practice, but just understand you're, it's not going to have the same depth of meaning and history yeah. behind it because you're not from that region. Now that doesn't mean it won't work. Exactly. But it'll work in a different way for you than it would for someone from that folkway. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another really important thing to remember is if you're not from those regions, you know, you're missing a piece yeah. of the, of the puzzle. Doesn't and, mean it won't work. Or that you can't fill it in with a different piece. Right. But you are. Exactly. You're, you're building a different puzzle. Right. Because this, this is folk magic mm -hmm. and a lot of it does overlap. So, you know, there are things that you can pick up and mm -hmm. add to your own practice, just like, you know, they've overlapped and been picked up in the various regions around the country. Yep. Just realize you may not have quote unquote authentic mm -hmm. Appalachian magic practice or and, authentic whatever. And this know. is where we get into, I think, an important distinction that people struggle with when it comes to dealing with and talking about their magic mm -hmm. and their practices. What you do in your personal practice mm -hmm. I don't give a shit about. Exactly. If it works for you, mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. I don't care how you do it. Mm -hmm. Do magic that works. However, when you have a platform or mm -hmm. you build a platform for yourself and you start talking about your magic, your responsibilities change. Mm -hmm. You have a different responsibility in how you express your magic to others than mm -hmm. in how you do your magic for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So like if I pick up elements of hoodoo mm -hmm. and I start using those in my work because they're effective and functional, mm -hmm. that's fine for my personal work, mm -hmm. but it does not make me a root worker. No. And I cannot claim to teach anyone hoodoo. Exactly. Like for instance, I, when we went to that conjure festival, mm -hmm. I took some excellent classes and one of them was on sweetening mm -hmm. and that is a root work hoodoo spell uh -huh. and that's a practice a sweetening spell and she taught us exactly how to use it mm -hmm. and what to do and it included prayers mm -hmm. and it included psalms yep. and things like that 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 you would do and uh but again i would not teach a class on sweetening mm -hmm. I've, I've done some i have taken 
parts of that mm-hmm. because I, at that time, especially was still very uncomfortable of, with the Christian, Christian part trauma, of it. Yeah. But, um, but I took that concept of sweetening mm-hmm. and, and understood how to use it right. in a different framework that worked for me, but I'm not about to go out and, and say, Oh, I'm a hoodoo practitioner mm-hmm. and this is how you do it. No, I'm going to leave that to an actual hoodoo practitioner, mm-hmm. but I can say, no, I learned an excellent form of magic from this hoodoo mm-hmm. practitioner. That I've been able to that incorporate I've been able into to my incorporate ways. to what I do. And I think that's important too, is honor where you're getting these new skills from, mm-hmm. whether you're going to a class from a pra- and a practitioner is showing you, mm-hmm. teaching you how to do that. And in essence, giving you permission. If they right. show you how to do the spell, right. they're giving you permission to use it and incorporate it into your work, but they're not giving you permission to claim it exactly. as your own. Exactly. You still have to honor where it came from. You give credit where it's you due. You give credit where it's due. That sweetening spell mm-hmm. that I was taught mm-hmm. was taught to me by a hoodoo practitioner. Yep. I and think knowing how to sweeten now her way does mm-hmm. not make you a hoodoo practitioner. Not at all. It just means she showed me. And it wouldn't me. even if you were doing it the way she taught you. Exactly. It just means she showed me a very effective spell mm-hmm. that I could use in my own work. And so I think that's incredibly important when it comes to any other kind of, mm-hmm. of any kind of American folk way that you learn from a specific American folk tradition, right. give credit where it's due. And I think that's especially double true when you get into hoodoo mm-hmm. and the traditions that, that grew up in slave culture, mm-hmm. because those traditions had to be hidden from slave owners. Mm-hmm. They had to be, they were so, such a melting pot, so complex, had so Mm -hmm. many elements because these people were stolen from their homes Mm -hmm. and cut off from their traditions and had to rebuild magic for themselves. Here's a phenomenon, which I'm sure everyone's aware of, but maybe hasn't thought about in these terms. The kind of hoodoo most of us are familiar with Mm -hmm. is what is called marketeered hoodoo. Mm Mm-hmm. It is a tourist's version of hoodoo Mm -hmm. that was stolen again from the enslaved peoples who created it, who built a new magic for themselves Mm -hmm. by mostly white drugstore owners in the South. Right. Who packaged it up, put white men on the covers and sold it to people as exotic, Mm -hmm. as some exotic special magic that the, the black people did and that you too could do. If you just bought it from him, that's the hoodoo most of us know Mm -hmm. that like that kind of twice stolen hoodoo is what most of us have access to. Right. That's not authentic hoodoo, Mm -mm. but it's what has gotten the most coverage. It's what, and, and understandably because traditional hoodoo has gone back underground to protect itself from being marketeered again. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, just like with anything, if you want to learn an authentic version mm-hmm. of, of a practice, go to an actual practitioner. Mm-hmm. Don't just humbly, yeah, humbly go to a practitioner and say, I, I really respect and honor your work. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to teach me? And if they say no, then accept that. You but if they that, say yes, on. then honor that they are, are allowing you into their tradition mm-hmm. and teaching you these things. But And don't then claim mm-hmm. that you can teach it to other people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but again, I, I do think it is important to point out that there are, you know, regions and mm-hmm. areas that have their own flavor, their own version, their own way of doing yep. folk magic, but that there are a lot of just 
there are there are commonalities. There are common there are things that we all can do mm-hmm. in our practices that are American folk magic that yep. are not necessarily tied to a particular region or group. Yep. You know, and and if you learn how to do those things, that's cool. I do a lot of folk magic. Oh yeah, same. I do a lot of folk magic and, and uh and a lot things. of which I learned from Orion Fox where at mm-hmm. H. Byron Ballard, mm-hmm. some some of whom I've met personally mm-hmm. and have had the privilege of of being able to speak to and listen to directly. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of it's just things I've picked up in reading exactly. or, or intuited myself. Somebody um, was asking about being taught by spirit, you know, exactly. and thing or things that I remember from childhood that I didn't realize were right. magical traditions, you know, or magical. I just really do still think it's important that even when we're picking up these commonalities mm-hmm. and incorporating them into our practices, yeah. we don't we don't pretend to be something we're not. Yeah, yeah. I I never unless I went to someone who was a root worker mm-hmm. and said I would like to learn how to be a root worker. Mm-hmm. Is that something you could teach? Is me? that even is something that I even something do? you yeah. could teach me to do? And they were willing to take me on as a student. Mm-hmm. Then I would call myself a root worker once they told once, me right, I was. Exactly. Once you had, <laughs> once you had passed but your, that's not, your that's grades. Not, exactly. But that's not the journey I'm on. Mm-hmm. That's not who I am, and and that's not what my path is. I have a, a more of a European right. witch path that I, you know, that I have, but I am an American. So there are a lot of American folk traditions that are just, that are just habitual, habitual and part of the things that I do. And like I said, there's some interesting things you can glean mm-hmm. out of books and things because these people are telling you about their traditions exactly. in order to share them. And quite frankly, sometimes you'll be reading about like uh, a folkway and the practices and superstitions of a folkway and you'll realize you've been doing this shit your entire exactly. life and I had no idea where it came from. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you kind of get that. I get that kind of a little bit from when I read uh, Byron's book mm-hmm. or Orion's book or just think little things you pick up because again, it's, it's, it's cultural. It's cultural as well as regional. And because these things, a lot of these things, you know, like if somebody, lived in uh the Appalachians mm-hmm. and then moved east they brought their shit they with brought them. their shit with them mm-hmm. you know and so and they and you pick it up around the neighborhood exactly and exactly you pass it down to your kids somewhere else exactly exactly I I think we as pagans like to draw very um discreet lines mm-hmm. sometimes between practices and traditions between magic and mundane mm-hmm. and that's just not how folkways work right there's very little distinction in a in a traditional folkway between mm-hmm. what's magic and what's miracle and what's mundane. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's all just living. It's all just living. Mm-hmm. And chances are, if you were to think about it or kind of do some exploration into these various folkways, mm-hmm. these regionalisms mm-hmm. of folk magic, you realize that you're already practicing some of it. It's just you're not from that region. So you don't have that as a specific practice or way of life. Swans has a good comment here, which is ideas cannot be copyrighted. How that idea is expressed is sacred to the person expressing it. Exactly. This is a great way to describe the smudging debate. Mm -hmm. Smoke cleansing, Mm -hmm. very common around the world. And if you don't like that word, use fumigating. Or weakening or saning. There Either are a hundred there are a hundred different words for smoke cleansing. Exactly. But it's um, all smoke cleansing. But smoke cleansing, extremely common yep. practice across the world in a number of different religions and traditions. Yep. A lot of people use plant matter to burn exactly. for sacred reasons. Different herbs purification. for different reasons yep. in different ways. But. Smudging <laughs> is a specific Ritual. kind of smoke cleansing 
practiced under specific conditions in some First Nations American tribes. Mm -hmm. So all smoke cleansing isn't smudging. And smudging is a closed practice. That expression Mm -hmm. of the idea of smoke cleansing is sacred to those specific tribes that practice it. The thing people don't realize is there are hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of varieties of sage. White sage is just one among many. And white sage is indigenous to the to the North American Canadian, you know, to, yes. to North America. Other, you can burn so many you can other burn things. So, you know, sage, as far as like, you know, people will say, well, sage, quote unquote, was, came from the Celts. Now that was garden sage. sage. That was a different kind of sage. It was not white sage. So I just want to put that out there. And, and, and that goes along with the smudging. Mm-hmm. It's specific to these various Native American tribes. To use that particular herb to call it smudging for their particular, you know, practice. ritual and practice, because white sage is indigenous to North America. It is garden and a hundred other kinds of sage that is indigenous to Europe and was part of the Celts and all. And that for that matter, stuff. fuck sage. You don't need sage. No, you can use rosemary. You, you can, can smoke use with so much lavender. But mm. we digress. But, I like I like mugwort personally. Yeah, but but. These kinds of things also fit in because it's part of folk uh-huh. tradition. Exactly. From whatever region you happen to be from, the using these herbs, many, many hundreds a number of, of herbs, ways. So many ways. It's regionalism, it's mm-hmm. folk magic, mm-hmm. and it's everywhere. So the, the ideas are everywhere. How they're expressed is specific. Exactly. Visit Birmingham Violin Studio, where our tiger, Kristen Gill, has been teaching violin to anyone ages seven and up for 20 years. Kristen tailors each lesson specifically to the student, since all people are unique individuals with their own learning style rather than teaching from a single method or method book. Kristen has a Master of Music in Violin Performance and has played with professional ensembles including Orchestra Iowa, Florida Grand Opera, Palm Beach Symphony, and the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra, as well as Casey and the Sunshine Band, the Beach Boys, and a pre-American idol, Kelly Clarkson. Due to social distancing, the Birmingham Violin Studio has pivoted to providing online instruction, and Kristen is offering listeners of Three Pagans and a Cat their first two lessons free when they sign up for two months of lessons. Hail Dictinus! Hail Dictinus! So I think we've covered everything we can because we're not getting into specific practices. Right. But again, there are a number of books that mm-hmm. do have go into specific practices for, and I would look for the ones that are written by actual practitioners, practitioners. like yes. H. Byron Ballard. Who like, come from those areas. Who come from those areas, like um, Orion Foxwood. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another lady who practices uh, Conjure. Yeah. You know, it, it's, they, they are people who come from those areas who speak who specialize mm-hmm. in that kind of magic. So if you're really interested. Most of them learned at somebody's knee. Yeah, they pretty much all of them. Uh-huh. You know, and then you've got someone like Chaz Bogan, who was not born in that area, but who went to who those. Who has studied it. Who has studied it and went to those people and learned from people from those areas. And I do also suggest um, sort of supplementing that first person mm-hmm. uh, magical um, text work mm-hmm. with, looking into some of the anthropological studies that are being done yep. um, because they're going to record different information mm-hmm. from a, a different perspective. Learn um, about their culture and, mm-hmm. and their lifestyle. Yep. How all of this type of, 
of magic evolved. And remember, uh, this I think is an important point that we maybe alluded to, but didn't really get into. Um, a lot of these folkways come up as a response to deep entrenched poverty. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these communities are still struggling mm-hmm. with a deep entrenched poverty. That's right. They live in remote areas that are difficult to get to. There's not enough work to go around. There's not enough money for the work that there is. They are in very underdeveloped communities. Uh, They are neglected by society. Mm -hmm. These kinds of folk traditions really thrive in places where people aren't getting what they need. Mm -hmm. And that's why they do these things. That's right. To try to get what they need. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage people who are studying these practices, who are um, pursuing these folk ways to find some way to give back to those communities. Mm -hmm. If they had, like, if you are are studying something from a particular area, look around and see if there are foundations that you can donate to, Mm -hmm. or if you, if you can physically go there to volunteer for any work that's being done in that Mm -hmm. area, help somebody raise a barn, you know? Here's the other thing to keep in mind, because these are, especially like in the Ozarks, in the Appalachians, Mm -hmm. in um, various areas where they, in the low country Mm -hmm. and things of that nature, they're very suspicious of outsiders. Yes. You are not going to be welcomed. No. You Um, have to And you shouldn't expect to be. No. And if you... (laughs) You you can live there for three generations and still be newcomers. Exactly. So that is another aspect to understand if you are looking to learn more about this way of life or how these particular mm-hmm. practitioners work, mm-hmm. um, unless you find somebody who is openly public right. and teaching, you're not just going to go into uh, a neighborhood and find and, the and local, ask. yeah, and and find the local uh, local granny, granny, and and ask, and she's going to say, sure, you're people are going to treat you like an outsider because mm-hmm. you are, yeah, they're you are very, one. especially in these more. Uh, isolated, low-income areas. Mm -hmm. And that includes the hoodoo community as well. Yes. And so very much when you, I do feel you should try to give back to these communities when you're able to, but do it through the stuff, the initiatives they've already set up for themselves because Mm -hmm. they know what they need better than you do. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And just, yeah, just remember you're an outsider. Don't go in and try to take control. Try to find out, try to learn from them. Mm -hmm. Go humbly. Go humbly. Learn from them. And if they say no, say thank you and accept it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes something just is not for you. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I found it hard to find information. So I think these uh, anthropological studies are a really good option. Yep. Exactly. Um, And... (laughs) The, the reason these anthropologists are able to even do these studies is that these they spend time with these people. Mm-hmm. Get to know them. And get to know them and establish rapports. So you will hear things from the anthropologists that you are not going to hear elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So. so. Okay. All right. Yes. It. I think that is it for this episode. Thank um, you for joining us. Yes. Car's not here to lead us out. So Google us. <laughs> three pagans and a cat. That's the number. Three pagans and a cat. Or you can put in three P-A-A-C. Mm-hmm. Number three. P-A-A-C. We are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on, well, we're on, I'm on Instagram. Gwen's on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. Gwen's on so TikTok. Come and visit me. I have a TikTok that I'm still not using. Do me a favor, though. If you are li- a listener and you're on TikTok and you become a follower, shoot me an instant message to say, hey, you know. I listened to Three Pagans and a Cat, so I know to follow you back. Oh, and come visit me on Patheos right. Pagan. Gwen has a blog. Yep. I, I write for three pack on Patheos Pagan. 
Um, I think that's pretty think much that's it. it. So thank you for listening. We love all of our listeners and mm-hmm. we thank you again for hanging in with us with, you know, all the crazy. Yes. But uh, we hope that you still enjoy listening to us gib and gab. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yep. Bye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye.